Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine, LD at Large. Thank you guys for taking the time out of your very busy uh, self-isolation schedules to listen. I have a very special guest today. He is one of my all-time favorite designers in the industry. His name is Tom Kenny. He is a very reputable lighting designer with such clients as The Who, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, Chris? You're up in Canada. I'm here in Miami. Two different yeah. worlds at the moment. I, I feel like we're worlds apart. I, yeah, I would but much rather have really... this over a, a drink in the pub somewhere, but uh, here yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah. No, this is great. This is cool. This is what you can do these days, and I'm sure everybody's outwatched every TV show and everything, so we might as well have a bit of a laugh on the yeah. podcast. I, uh, I'm just about to start Ozark tomorrow. I made it through all of Tiger King. I made it through, uh, uh, we redid Breaking Bad. We're all, we're as far as we can go. So it's a and good time to have a chat. That's just by watching the presidential conferences here. You watch oh, all that. I anyway, can't. listen to that. I <laughs> can't watch them, man. I'm uh, so no. thankful to live up here because I have a prime minister who is so well-spoken. Yeah. He would never... Well, so politicized here. If you look everywhere else in the world and it's it's just politicized. It shouldn't be. It should be matter of fact. It should be just, you know, I, I, this all stuff happened when I was back in Ireland. I'd heard about it. And my daughter, who's very much into diet and she's doing a master's in nutrition, she's always trying to keep happy and safe and, you know, healthy, started talking to me and everybody was talking about it. But the prime minister in Ireland, there had just been an election and he happens to be a doctor. So it's facts. It's the real thing. So um, it's not worth getting into it. So many people are polar, polar differences. But uh, I just, as long as everybody's safe, you know, I don't care at the end of the day. I, I know four people have passed away, four great people, and five days of hell, and they were gone, you know? So I am putting together a list of people I'd like to go straight on the list, but they know who they are. Oh, the thought of having a doctor as an elected representative sounds so refreshing. It sounds... And he's gay and he's a Muslim as well. Imagine that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, That's... so whatever. But it's, listen, it's a little country, Ireland, with lots of people that have gone all over the world. Very progressive and everything sort of works. But they have their ilks. They've gone through a lot of shit like everybody else. And yeah, But they're more like Canada in the sense of looking after this. There's a solidarity that we need to get back here in the States. There's a, where everybody looks out for each other instead of looking at shit television stations, you know, and uh, I speak to people, man, I've got to bite my tongue. I'm like, oh my God, how did you become so successful? 
but that's that's neither here nor there. I like you know I work for a lot of great people. A lot of the my, the people I work for mainly as in tourists are all over seventy, so all of them have to be very careful. I've been in touch with all my friends, and they they're in their seventies. They've been around mm-hmm. a long time, but one of them last night said to me, "Shit, I never thought I was seventy five until somebody told me." <laughs> and it's a bit like how to sort of turn this around. That's how I, I didn't know I was a lighting designer until actually Willie Williams told me, oh, that's what you're called, Tom. I went, no, I do the lighting. He says, no, you're a lighting designer. That's a long time ago. But um, yeah, we all just got to carry on. And sort of as another friend of mine is a famous songwriter, Christy Moore in Ireland. He's got this great song called The Voyage, which is actually about families. Everybody should listen to it. I sent him a text and I worked with him when I was 16 and 17 and we've kept in touch. And he said, one thing we're going to all need at the end of this is a lot of light, which what we do for a living, but obviously we can, in our personalities and our life, we can shed some light on people's lives. Oh, that's profound. Everybody's kind of looking for the light at the end of the tunnel and there's going to be a lot of, a lot of need for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely some need and people, you know, it's the thing about touring. You go out and tour. You don't know who anybody is the first day. Two weeks later, you die for most people, except for that audio guy that nobody likes. But, you know, <laughs> it, you know, I could go on for hours about stories and stuff like that. But that's the community. That's what a community is all about. And fortunate, and I work for great people, and we've been around great musicians and great bands and great management and great fun. And the audiences are great, and you learn something. The distant journey between the stage. And the lighting desk, I've met some of the most funniest, looniest, craziest people. And I've also met some great people, you know, that, you know, unexpectedly. But I'm fortunate. I work for bands that really don't have any rules, you know. So you're in my position. I was able to do a lot of stuff and have some fun and introduce some of the audience to the artist, whereas you'd get fired these days from some other bands. But, well, let's uh, start from the beginning then. How did you, how did you uh, start the path to becoming a lighting designer, even though you had no idea you were going to be a lighting designer? No, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, uh, I come, I'm from Dublin and Ireland, and all my brothers are musicians in a traditional sense. They play Irish tradition music, and I used to be dragged along. I used to hate it until one day <laughs> I used to be dragged along to all these sessions and stuff, and everybody was like 15, 16, 17, 18, and you know, because they were very good musicians and a great sports star, I'd get away with a lot of flack. So I'd be allowed to hang around. And then one day I was at this like festival, youth festival, Gaelic youth festival. And the guy who was turned around and says, hey, can you give me a hand? And uh, so I helped him push some cases. I was about 13 or 14. And then just helped him. And my dad said, hey, go on, go over and help him. So the next time another city I came, or village, we don't have cities, village, I went to see him and he says, hey, will you help me today? And I went, yeah. So that went on for about a year or so. And I got some of my pals who, one of them actually works for you two now, Rab and uh, Matt, who's a friend of mine, who's a plumber and friends of mine, Fiak, who's who was head of the Irish Theatre. Like we all were just like 13, 14. We just, I just got them here and there helping out on this festival. And then at the end of that sort of run of things, I got a phone call once. My mother said, hey, there's some guy called John looking for you. And he was, uh, when was that? 1980, 1979, 1980, something like that. And he said, uh, 
hey, I've got this little band, they're called U2, they're from the north of Dublin, and they're doing bigger gigs than the, than the they used to play in this little sort of swag um, meet and greet sort of market, called the Dandelion Market, and they were going into like little bigger venues, little tiny theatres in Ireland, so I helped them on sound and lights and everything, and that was John Kennedy. And I met a friend of mine, John Dunford, from that, who was a sound engineer, and he got me more involved with the folk end and stuff. But uh, yeah, I was around. I did worked on the Gloria video. I worked on, God, runs it in a lot of the famous with or without you video. I was just working as a helper. And then by the time I was like 16, 17, I worked with everybody I was known. So I started working with uh, a couple of big Irish bands, and one of them was a huge, very political band. So when I was 17, I was up on the Falls Road in Belfast, right in the middle of the Troubles, playing for this crazy benefit. And the next day I was in school trying to do my physics exam, which I didn't do so well in. But two weeks later, after I graduated from school, um, I went for this band. And then I started working for a band called Clonid, which Anya's from. And then Ireland being such a small place, Chris, but most likely like Canada is, but much smaller and it was early 80s so it was a new a new thing and we had the boomtown rats with ben morrison with u2 we also sorts of great bands that had sort of made it more in america and love in england but so you you did lighting for television you did lighting for bands gigs theater video was just coming around then events weddings i did this is your life a few times you had to be ready for but everything everything because that's a one gig to another it's you know whereas and it opened my mind up to stuff later on in my life. So I did that for a while until I was about 21 and I worked for everybody. And this lady called Caroline Downey, who's a model, and she's now manages Hosier and she's married to Dennis Desmond, who runs MCD. She's the promoter in Ireland. A guy called Joe Hurley, who's U2 sound engineer, famous sound engineer, and one or two models and people, actors said, Tom, you're going to move away. And I just had a great time in Ireland. I didn't want to move away. So I moved to England. And right around 1985, 86, just after Live Aid, around Live Aid time. So it was a buzz, but there was no money. Nobody had any money. So moved to England, started working for Super Mick with Peter Clark. And of course, immediately I was amongst a bunch of people like Faye McMahon and Peter Jennings and Duchess, Sue Airedale, God, so many great people who were just, Steve Hall, um, great people who were just there to help you out and we were doing gigs. All of a sudden I'm doing a gig in the Buckingham Palace. All of a sudden I'm talking to Ringo Starr and George Harrison and such. And then what happened then? And then Harvey Goldsmith, who I used to work with a lot, who's the guy who did Heart Live Aid, he said, uh, Eric Clapton's looking for a light designer. All the normal people are away on the Who. I'm going to put you in there, Tom. So I went to Israel, uh, started off in Holland, went to Israel, and then we went to Africa to some shows in Africa uh, for the Swaziland, uh, Botswana, lots of places. And all of a sudden, I'm Eric Clapton's light designer. I'm 25 years of age. And he 25. wanted a new, I know, he wanted a new, um, they wanted a new look and they got rid of, uh, they sort of moved on from some of the people who were working with them. And it just so happens myself and Robert Collins, who's Dire Straits here, were picked. And we did Princess Trust shows. And just once you get in, as you know, Chris, once you get into that sort of, uh, you know, group of people, all of a sudden, Phil Collins is the drummer in Eric's band. He's Phil's gone, Tom, I love the lights. Can you help me out? 
George Harrison, Elton John, I could name them all. And you're just in that different level. And because I was Irish and had a bit of a laugh and I was doing, <laughs> you know, they'd always had guys from Shoko who were lovely guys, but they weren't us. You know what I mean? And they weren't just fucking cheeky bastards who just hang on to try this. And my biggest hurdle, which you probably know, which a lot of guys would know in the past is, was the backline crew who were used to getting away with murder recently and just was terrible on the stage. And production manager had always tried to keep it clean, McDouble. And so we started doing stuff like that. They were great, the Clapton crew, but some other bands I work with, the, 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 the backline guys, fucking animals. You know what I mean? They just weren't into this new change of life, you know, lighting. Sound guys were getting really technical. So were lighting guys and video was coming out. And uh, so I went from the Clapton thing. And during that time, I did some one-offs for David Byrne and David Bowie, which was around 1987. And David Byrne asked for me to do his first solo tour out of Talking Heads. I did all that. That was an eye-opener. I could write books about that. Same time, David Bowie asked me to do the thing with him in London. And uh, that just opens you up. Went from that to working for when I was about 1993. I started, things weren't going great at home. I was doing a lot of TV, doing a lot of stuff. And uh, Bill Kirby, she's the manager who, who, was, who I was working with, Pete Townsend, said, hey, I've got this project, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. We really need somebody with our eyes on it. I love what you do for Clapton, will you help us out? So I was given laundry. I'll never forget it. I was in Chicago and uh, he said, give me a call. He was in Hong Kong doing some press thing with Robert and Jimmy. I went and called him. And he's, he said, right, Tom, I really need somebody young. I need somebody who's not from our world, who is from our world, but is not afraid to do stuff because Robert has this guy. Jimmy doesn't know what he wants. We need somebody from the rock world. We love what you do. Harvey wants you to do it. Everybody wants you to do it. So I left Eric Clapton, which was like a big deal, you know, because I'd had such a, such a great community and there's such wonderful people and they looked after me and I, it opened me up to people but I was it was he was starting to play the blues he wasn't playing the hits anymore and he wasn't enjoying himself playing so um went from that and then you're in another club I started working with Page and Plant did the Unleaded show that opened me up into another world altogether even though I was in an amazing world with Clapton but other world and then what happened lots of different bands designed versus Santana lots of uh, American bands, doing a lot of TV at the same time. I was lucky to have worked with, uh, did a couple of things earlier on with Bobby Dickinson. He was the TV guy. And this is a long time ago. So it was just Bobby and Alan Bratton came along, showed Bobby had to do it uh, in another way. And there was very few people that did it. So I, I was told once by Clapton's manager, hey, Tom, I'm fed up with these guys coming over, getting involved with our show to do it. And same with Tony who's Genesis manager, he said, Tom, you should learn. There's nobody from here, from Europe that does it. So I started getting into TV. And fortunately, when I moved here, eventually that really opened up my world because Gail Napoli, Alex Paletti, all these different people I'd met, Audrey, I'd met during the Unplugged times with Clapton or the Zeppelin stuff. They helped me out. And within a few years, because my lighting is so different from the Dick way or the Brandon way I had my own way I just got lots of work and moved me into you know you know because of the who and because it opened doors and you know that's how how you get there you know so there you go that's how I got to this point
Wow. That is a, that's an epic career. That is a laundry list of clients there. I forgot about the George Harrison, Elton John, Elvis Costello, all that shit. But anyway, that's for another time. <laughs> but uh, no, the thing, when you work with someone like a musician, like Clampton or Zeppelin or, or Bowie or, or The Who, other musicians sort of go, shit, if he works for him, he's fine. You know, which is great. And it's like any business. You ask an architect, you ask an engineer, you ask a builder. If you work for the top and you've worked for a long time and you're mm-hmm. a decent human being, I think it's the same, you know? Your profession is the same, but obviously we have to have a flair and a, a way of doing things. And uh, I was lucky to work with people who, you know, Clapton's music, all the, the rock stuff, the blues stuff, the David Burns. David taught me an awful lot. All of a sudden I'm working with David Byrne, Oliver Stone, Barry Levinson. Shit, I could talk all night of the people I worked with. I worked with David, uh, Ben Benders. So when well, somebody reaches out to you, let's say you're with Eric Clapton and somebody from, uh, let's say, Led Zeppelin calls, how do you, how do you decide what, which one well, you're going to take? What's was, on the pros and cons list? Cons. It was fucking hard to leave Eric Clapton because the nicest people. Eric is the most nicest, generous, fantastic. And every night you're blown away by the music. But it's a life thing. My life was changing at home. I was growing up a little bit in this other sense, maturing a little bit. And I wanted a challenge. And then Bill Kerbschney <laughs> came to see me once. We were doing a huge class, like a four nights in the Madison Square Gardens. And because I'm the concierge sitting at, you know what it's like, you're at the lighting desk. Everybody asked me this stupidest fucking question. <laughs> All night, I had people coming up to me going, hey, when's he going to play Layla? When's he got-? And Eric wasn't playing any of that on that tour. So it was, you know, it's the same with people who work for Neil Young or people who work for other bands that they just want to test out their audience. At the same time, we had put together this beautiful set. It was absolutely gorgeous. And what was starting to happen is that people were starting to talk about the production more than they were the concert and content, which is not, just don't like that. They want everything to be. And Eric never, ever said anything about lighting except for, Jesus, where that follow spot operator come from or blah, blah, blah. Never would say a word. And um, I started going, you know what? I'm starting to have to do a lot of lighting here, which is before with him, you never had to do a thing. You had to, you know, uh, what Santana said to me once, he said, Tom, the musicians and band are like the fruit, beautiful, gorgeous insides of the cake. For the icing and the hundreds and thousands and all the candles on top. It should never be more or less, you know? And it's true. It should never, some bands need a lot of distraction to, you know, we do that with all the, a lot of the pop stuff I do. It's like, as Robert Collins used to say, shit in, shit out. But if it's really good stuff, it's going to be great. So what can you do? And it's, it's proven many times, all the bands I've been with sometimes have gone on in, in the afternoon and 100,000 people are rocking out, you know, mm-hmm. um, then they go on at night and same thing, but it's a different magic. So, but to, the choice with Eric was basically, I got to the point I had to move on. And like the Clapton thing, I moved from a great company in London that, I, that really helped me at Supermic. And I was given the choice. So you, it's just choices, you know, and you just have to bite the bullet and hopefully you don't make the mistake, you know? Some people you just have. have to go on a gut feeling that you're like, well, this is, yeah. a, I, you have to be willing to give up pretty good for even better i would imagine yeah yeah you just have to and i'm fortunate i was lucky in that sense and sadly what happens nowadays is that you get clash with stuff and you've got these great people you work with and 
it just doesn't work out. You've got to listen to who are amazing because they have no rules. They're fantastic. They understand everybody and they rarer and rarer that they used to come out. So they understand that people have careers outside of it. So they're very good, but other people just don't understand. Why can't you be there tonight? What are you going to do? Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, loyalty goes out the window. They forget about the million other times that you gave up stuff for them. But that's the mm. thing, you know, that's the way it is. But it is a big decision and everybody has to make that. And, you know, I, I always help. And you can ask anybody. I'll always help somebody if they ask. They go, shit, Tom, I've been offered this. And a lot of uh, lady LDs, female operators, programmers, I've always tried to help out because they get given choices. I, I can sort of know. Um, hey, listen, if you do this tour, you're going to open yourself up to that tour manager, blah, blah, blah. And that's how it is. Sometimes you got to think ahead and go, you know what? I've never worked with this. It mightn't be the artist. It might be the production manager. It might be the, you know, the, the sound guys. You, you just got to go. I've been lucky. Go with your gut feeling. And it opens up doors, you know, opens up doors. Mm -hmm. Do your brothers ever come to your shows now? Oh, my God. Shit. Many brothers have come to this is how close I am to my family. My brother, who's living in Germany, married in Germany, his well, <laughs> his uh, wife, lovely lady, she she um, had two sons who were like in their twenties, and I bring them to a Bowie show, and of course they're backstage, and you know David's fantastic. He says hello to everybody, so I walk him through, and there's Bowie sitting on a flight case, blah blah blah. We walk out, and the kid, one of the kids, like twenty-two year old German, you can see he's well into it. Get out to the lighting desk, and I'm on the headset talking to Follows Paragraphs, and I'm, this is how close I am to my family. The kid goes, hey, has your brother told you that I study light? And I went, no. He says, Tom, I've read about you. I've heard about you, and your brother has never mentioned you. <laughs> That's how close I am to my family. So my other brother, Noel, he came to. I was doing Eric Clapton in, in uh, oh, fucking hell, a long time ago. We were in Australia, and he lived in Australia, so I brought himself and his wife and kid to and I'm walking backstage and I can hear all this laughter. I'm like, what's going on there? Walking into the room, there's my brother telling Eric and all the band about what I was like when I was a kid. And the most impressed my brother was that night, he says, turn those fucking lights off that are blinding me. And, oh, look, there's Tom Jones. I'll see you later. That's, we're not very close. My sister's into it, but <laughs> you see, they've seen some shows and family have come to it. My daughter is a big fan of stuff and she's 28, but my kids here, they've it all the time but um my regret is my dad never really saw any stuff and he passed away my mother's been to a couple of things but uh you know family's and you know they, they they have their own lives you know they mm -hmm. know what they do and, you uh, never wanted to follow in their footsteps and try out uh, the music well, world huh well you know as we were saying earlier on chris i know i'm not a musician and i was just you know one very famous violinist was trying to teach me violin he says tom just gotta stop being distracted and try and put your into it and that's what i never did you have to be be able to put your mind to it and yeah i was never into that i was into other things and and sat, you know i went that way but i definitely have it in my veins i know music it's it's in your it's in your mind and uh timing and and music and i can learn music very quickly so it's definitely in there i'd like to listen i see i've been standing beside the most famous guitars i've had to bring some of those famous guitars with bring them to the artist of stubby side most famous pianos violins drums and for some reason i'll never touch them because i come from a family that you don't fucking touch the instrument you know whereas mm -hmm. other people might 
try and touch it. I just wouldn't. It's just respect for musicians' instruments, you know? I'm with you. I have music in my blood. I feel it. I can tap along. I've got decent rhythm. But the music just doesn't come out of me through uh, an instrument. It, it comes out through the console. I, I can... Yeah. I can accent music and I can get a vibe and I can listen to lyrics and I can count to four many times, but it doesn't yeah. come out through a guitar or drums or anything like that. Yeah. You know, and I've sat, you know, because I do those award shows and all those shows, you get some great people that come along. The really, really good ones don't say anything to you because when I used to go to big award shows, I'd say hello to Bobby Dickinson's or the Alan Branton's. And you have a little note here and there. Different for Bowie, that's different. But other bands, I'd always just stay out of the way and get them a cup of tea. Never really, never have the cheek to go up to someone like Roy Bennett or Willie Williams or any of the greats to say something. Never have the... Though, that cheek goes out the window with some kids, man. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this kid was a dimmer guy fucking last week, right? You know, the problem with me is... I work, come from music, so when I'm doing the MTV Awards or something like that, my such and such is coming from such and such band, and I'm like, okay. First thing is always a, always a clue that they're a complete and utter novice wanker as they ask for a lighting plug. And you're thinking, come on, guys. It's the MTV Awards. It's the Latin Grammys. You think we're going, we're going to have lights, right? That's one <laughs> thing for sure. We're going to have lights. We're going to have sound. So that's the one. That's the first sign. The second sign is when you haven't done anything, you haven't listened to anything, and they're involved, you know? And there's, listen, there's great guys out there and girls that are just fantastic, and they'll give you some notes, and they're 100% behind you. Steve Cohn, Corey, Keeley, everybody, they're great people. And they don't say a word, they just say, hey, let's do this, and they're just, but they're good lighting designers. The difference, there's the ones who, hey, can you do this? And you're like, for fuck's sake, you know, you think, First of all, the artist I work with, this will, we're going to spend this hour dealing with them. And you know what? I'll probably never hear from them or see them again. So mm-hmm. you've got to give them 100% and make sure. The last thing you're going to do is not make them look good because you've got a, a director who's looking, making the cameras look good. You've got a videographer making them look good. So it's, you know, respect. So that's what's lost a little bit lately with people who learn how to program a Grand May and all of a sudden their world's greatest thing you know they've got to respect a production manager like a jake mm-hmm. or a doubler who've done all their work in advance you know or chris adamson and all those great people they're all great people because they've come up from the bottom and they got to the top and they royal am and god i could name so many great people who are great and they're just that's the other thing when you two turn up to an award show you get help from jake bono the edge larry adam sammy rab joe hurley he dallas Every single person that works for that band will help you, right? Mm-hmm. Same with the Foo Fighters. Same with, I can name them the whole time, J-Lo, Beyonce, all those people, the top of the class. Taylor is amazing. Her mother's amazing. Her management, Robert, everybody, they're great. They want to help you. And it's the other ones that I could have a whole world talking about. But actually, the good ones that turn start being a complete and utter top but who have talent realize that the next time you meet them you think wow they're fucking they really learned how to do this and they're great you know and they're very much into the project and i think that's the way it is 
if uh, we're all one thing, some people are great at work, some things, some people are better at others, but I think it's just the attitude and that's been lost a little bit in the newer people I meet. But then there's, there's great people, Brian Jenkins, there's loads of great younger people who come up, Cat, God, I could name a million, that are just great. And they, they're into the music and they're into their artists 100% looking the best they can be. And you see it in sound as well. I hear some great sound. And I always go over at award shows. I go, man, that sounds great. And, uh, you know. One of the great. best examples of that has to be the iHeartRadio show oh, in okay. Vegas that you do every year. Yeah, that's the cornucopia. We we inherited that. We inherit, I won't mention his name, but he knows who he was. And they just had the wrong. They did it the wrong way. They let every light designer and sound engineer and everybody touch the console, right? Mm-hmm. But I understand because I've been in their position a million times. And at the end of the day, because it's a TV show, I just decided let's do it like an award show. Let's yep. give the artists, people, light designer, creative. They've got 20 minutes, so it's a lot of time. We give them previs. We completely understand. But at the end of the day, when I get into the truck, they don't know I have the manager sitting beside me. They don't know I have the brother of the blah, blah, blah sitting beside me. So everybody's involved, and everybody does a fucking amazing job in that because all of a sudden, hey, you're the LD for a band. You go, shit. Okay. Okay, there's 25,000 people in here, but actually what we're looking after, because you know you can do the 25,000 people in the arena, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. But it's the hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are on streaming and yep. people who are watching on TV afterwards. And guess what? And it was Alan Brown who taught me this many years ago. He says, so the kid comes up to you and goes, hey, I'm such and such. And you go, okay. And they go, hey, why can't we not touch the thing? And you say, well, this is how it works. I've been around a long time. And I'm not being rude to you, but a week from now, if I let you do this and you don't do it the way that they want it done, not saying that you're not good at it, but the, the bass player's wife will be watching it with her girlfriend. Now, this is in the TV time. And one of the girlfriends might say to the girl, bass player's wife, and bass player says, shit, that doesn't look too good. And the bass player's wife and girlfriend or sister, whatever, say to the bass player, and the bass player will say to the manager, and the manager will get in touch with me, and they'll say, hey, why didn't I look so good? And I will say, because your guy did it. So mm-hmm. what do you want to do? Do you want us to take the risk and do our job and look after you 100%? You know, and that's the best thing. You've just got to Yeah, but it doesn't matter if you say that. He's not going to be the one who's going to get fired the next year. It's going to be you're the the one who's going to be. Yeah, you're going to be not let back next year. You know, and and, and on the iHeart, what I do is I've got Mike Appel, who's one of the best in the the world. We've got Fuji, who's fantastic. We've got uh, Tiffany, who's fantastic. We've got Jess, who's fantastic. Sometimes I'd have, uh, you know, Felix has done it. You've got the best programmers you know what i mean you've got the most amazing people who can put together any show but you've got minutes you don't have oh i've got three weeks of rehearsal you've got minutes so on that show mm-hmm. it's like coming into a great kitchen and you've got the best chefs around and they're really good under pressure your job as a band's light designer is to really look after nobody gives a shit about that chase that you do or blah 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 mm-hmm. and the best people who come along are always under the same award. So there's some like Corey or was people like that that come along and are, you know, Nick, or, you know, I could name so many Baz. 
they have internal lighting, an internal set. They've already thought about their plan and they come there mm-hmm. and they've got a certain look and you have to adapt to that look then. And that's the way to do it. They're so well together. Katy Perry, all the people that come from Basil's thing, Nick, Fireplay, all the people that comes from, you know, uh, all those great creative companies, they've already thought about it because it's a one-off and that's what you make your, it's, the, that's what you make your best at. Like, okay, today we're doing such and such. So this is what we think of it. It's not another gig. It's not because you can press the buttons. Or it's just what you've got to look after. And, it, and look at all the streaming that's going on at the moment. It's, it's all uh, streaming right now. It's all amazing stuff. And look, look, it's the Keith Urban. It's the Hosier. It's the Juanes. It's the it's Annie Lennox. I can remember all the really good ones. Same with Live Aid. You remember U2. You remember The Who. You remember the mistakes. Uh, people always forget that Paul McCartney's microphone wasn't plugged in. You know, this but I do because I was there. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You too, there's the queen thing, there's everything. And that's what you remember. So it's the same mm-hmm. on the streaming stuff. So funny enough, in this really strange time they're in at the moment, I'm involved with a few things and a few great things that are coming up. And there was great global citizens last week. But if you looked at it, the really seriously amazing musicians had one microphone to look straight into the camera or had a camera on the side and they didn't need anything it's the one that tried to try and do something that you know it's it, it's just it's just everything you know what i mean it's talent at the end of the day mm-hmm. um if you can't do it in a, lot, a room that's all lit up in, i remember the first time i met lady gaga and we had all this chats not too much chat beforehand and uh, Martin Phillips is working with her, with her and he was out talking to Mike Pell and standing on the stage and she comes up to me and she goes, hey, listen, can I play my piano? And I went, Gaga, you can do what the fuck you want. It's Radio City, we're, we're cutting it together for you and they were building these steps, building all this and this is how clever she was. And I've seen Elton John do this, I've seen Freddie Mercury, I've seen Jordan, I've seen Eric, I could name her all fucking day. But she went over to the piano, this is Radio City, really brilliant stage crew, brilliant designers, brilliant, uh, Hamish was the director, everybody's at the top of the game. Lady Gaga sat down on the piano, started diddling away, and within seconds, the calmness, and we're all looking around going, Jesus, this girl can play her piano. And she did that on purpose, you know, she did it. I've seen Taylor Swift do it with a microphone, seen Alicia Keys, I've seen Springsteen, they just go, okay, I'll show you what I'm gonna fucking do. And they do it, bang, and you go, whoa. And the respect goes up a million, million percent. I just worked with Dua Lipa, same sort of thing. Niall Horan, same thing. You know, the Foo Fighters have always been amazing. Halsey just opens their mouth. Or just I'd smile. add uh, Ed Sheeran to that list. Oh, He's Ed, one of those well, guys. He could, is, uh, he could be playing to a, a lamppost, and the lamppost would start dancing. Yeah. There's a little ditty before we finish. Is uh, I had to give him a note because I'm the I'm the message giver from somebody. A lot of these guys I work with, and I'll always keep in touch. And I always used to tell Bowie, "Hey, I'm working with such and such," and he'd go, "Hey, ask him this." So a few years ago, I was doing a thing, and Ed was there, and there was a kid from some American band chatting to Ed, and they were talking about trucks. Oh no, they were talking about something, and I went over and I went, "Hey, Ed," and I just for Ed because he's the fucking best. I said, hey, "Ed, this is from Pete Townsend." You. And he went, oh, cheers, mate. He puts it in his pocket, the note, without reading it around. He puts it in his pocket. And the other guy 
He says, oh, you're Lightning. How many uh, ads? Tink and I was ads Lightning. I said, no, I'm just working with him here. I work with him many times. He says to Ed, uh, hey, what, what, what do you normally do? And Ed goes, no, seriously, what do you do? He says, oh, we've got like three trucks and two buses. And Ed goes, oh, we got one. And he was playing Madison Square Gardens. It's a lot different now, but he was playing mm-hmm. the gardens five or six nights. He was playing multiple nights ago. And the guy goes, what do you mean got one? Oh, we got one bus and we got one truck. And the kid looked at me and I said, see, that's fucking talent. That's all that, is, that is so hardcore. Yeah, that is. But he's a, that's a phenomenon. It only comes around every now and again. You know what I mean? Um, the Who have this rule that, and Page and Plant have it as well. If it's more than seven trucks, if it's more than the amount of trucks that you start getting charged at the yin yang at Madison Square Gardens, we shouldn't have that. So even um, when we did stadiums, it was different. But on the last run of tours with the Who, we had seven trucks. Right? But it was very minimal. It's very blah, blah, blah. But that's because they can do that. There's lots of bands that can do it. Though. They don't need all that shit. Because, you know, obviously all that shit is a lot of jobs and a lot of people, mm-hmm. but if they're really down and dirty, they can get away with it. And it's not getting away. It's like, like look at Ed Sheeran. I can one guitar, one guy, great songs, you know? Do you think that we've uh, gone to one complete end of the spectrum and we're coming back to the other end from mega productions to back to minimalism? Well, listen, the, I think the U2s, the Pink Floyds, the Stones, the Stones started it many, many years ago with Bill Graham and they knew that, hey, if we can corner this market by putting on an extravaganza. And they did. They had early, early on in the days, they did that. And at the same time, The Who and Floyd and all those bands were doing the same in their own way. But really, it was The Stones. And then that sort of went into the U2s came along, The Grateful Deads and all that. And listen, when you go and see a Beyonce show or a Gaga show or Katy Perry or Taylor show, they're fucking fantastic and they're entertaining and you go and see it and you're like wow they really are you too is like a something landed on the pl- on the you know on the from the moon but and it's their lead singer it's their it's their thing but they could easily any one of those people i met they could easily do it with a couple of lights and blah, blah. but then again lots of people would be out of work and lots of people and it's just a different mm-hmm. different way you know they're and you know what the great thing about those all those musicians is they when they do do the minimal thing, it's stunning because it just you, you see how fucking great they are, you know. And um, but it's really it's a, how many times, Chris, have you heard singers singing in the sound check and you're going, Oh my Jesus Christ, how's this gonna be? You know, <laughs> we're gonna need more production, yeah, yeah, bring more lights. But um, yeah, no, listen, production is down to the band, and some bands are famous for putting on stuff. and you know, listen, years ago, get back to Page and Plants, you two were at the show in Dublin and I looked around during the show and I was looking around at the audience and I saw a guy waving at it. it was Willie and he was pointing at a light that was hitting me. <laughs> so I turned around to the programmer who was working with me and I said, Hey, can you move that light? And he looked up and there was you two and Willie and they moved the light and they started laughing, right? <laughs> because we did that during the show and I've got lots of show stories like this. Afterwards I saw Bono and I saw them all went, oh my god, but that tour we started off in Eastern Europe and Robert Lambert said, Tom, you're only gonna have one truck and you're gonna share it and you've got to come up with something cool. So I only had enough room for twenty-four icons and like 
some liqueurs and some mulfe and like some drapes and that was it. We went around Eastern Europe, Turkey, all these amazing fucking countries. I could write a book about that. Got to Dublin and we put on this show and it, fucking a band like that will blow your head off with the house lights on, right? So afterwards I was talking to Bono and all that and they were like, Paul McGuinness said, Tom, if I could talk to him into doing a tour like this, if I could talk and Willie was like there going, yeah, we've been trying to get back to doing it. This was after Zoo TV or one of those amazing tours. So I, McGuinness just wanted, if we could do this, if you two could fucking show how amazing the band there, they, 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 they don't need this, but we do it as part of, that's our show. We are expected to be this big. So anyway, about eight months later, I'd finished with the Patient Plan stuff and I got a call from Steve Erdale, or I don't know who it was at the time, maybe Steve or Jake or something like that. Hey, come down, they want you to come down. So I went down to the thing, there's nobody else in the arena. I knew everybody was like a fucking wedding as most Irish people get, you know, when they go to you two, you're really well looked after. They're amazing, hospitable, great crew, everybody, Jake, the band, everybody, management. And I go out there and, and Willie says, hey Tom, look up. And I look around, he says, so that's what happens when you talk to us about minimalism and it was Vertigo was stunning <laughs> to her. But they started off with two trusses and then Bono said, hey, let's do this and blah, 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 let's do this. And that's how they grow, you know? Mm -hmm. And though the most amazing times of those shows or Willie's shows or U2 shows is when they've only got four lights on. Like, that's the funny thing. And when it's a good band, they can fucking do anything. You know, mm -hmm. when it's, uh, that's why I always wonder, always wonder why these people bring these, all these musicians, oh, they bring these fake bands to award shows when the coolest award shows have been Kanye by himself at a keyboard or Beyonce by herself here or Taylor by herself. They're always the coolest things to take back from a TV show is when somebody does something different. But I suppose they want to have the backup of their musicians, you know, to make it look as if, well, most of them are playing, but some of them aren't, you know. Mm -hmm. So having such a, a laundry list of clients and such a, a long reputation, do you get a lot of requests for for mentors or mentees? Do you get a lot of people wanting to be your intern or anything like that? Do you get a lot of people? Yeah, I get a lot. But listen, we had a, I tried it. Uh, when we were doing the famous, actually, the famous All the Single Ladies video or All the Single Ladies Beyonce year, the Kanye year when he jumped up and fucked up his life and made Taylor Swift and did all this stupidity when he was drunk. That year in Radio City, I was talked into using this. Somebody wanted her, some kid that went to some posh art school. Um, and uh, so I went, yeah, okay. And I said, listen, to be honest, there's, I've got 100 electricians, I've got 20 lighting crew, blah, blah. We may only ask you to get coffee, right? <laughs> so don't be upset. Anyway, the second day I said to him, hey, um, you okay? And he went, oh, I'm doing is getting coffee. And I'm like, okay, but look who you're getting coffee sitting next to. And he went, what do you mean? I says, that's such and such, that's such and such. This guy's done this, this guy worked for the Met. And went, oh, it's still boring. I went, okay. So I don't know, it's hard. I'm not really, I'd rather talk to somebody and chat to somebody and, you know, I could tell you stories about some people when they were younger, but I'm not gonna tell it here, but <laughs> they, uh, all the good people. Yeah, I love helping people out. I, there's a couple of people I really keep an eye out for because they're going to be great and they just need a certain push in a certain direction. And and some people get, they're so quiet and they're so nice, but they're brilliant lightness. They get bullied a bit. So you got to 
mm. try and tell them that occasionally you've just got to go to the manager and go, this guy's a fucking dickhead or this woman's a bitch or this person's treating me like bad because the band need to have that person as their designer, you know? It's the same in every... Our, our world is a little bit different because you can actually, most of the time, tell talk truths to people about stuff, you know? But then I've worked with bands and Jesus Christ, <laughs> we did years ago, we were doing um, Ross Gilder Festival. Have you been there? This amazing festival in, in, in Europe. It's in Denmark, Ross Gilder. And uh, they've got three stages and one stage finishes, the stage behind you. It's just the most amazing experience, but the food is amazing. Everything's amazing. And uh, Royal Lamb, who's our production manager, loved waking us up, even though we'd only been in bed an hour. He woke us up and says, come on, let's load in. So I jumped up, helped the backline crew. We put in all these, we had a massive orchestra, it was Page and Plant. And we were playing that night with OREM. They were the biggest band in the world at the time. Amazing fucking tour with projectors and everything. Willie was doing it, it was stunning looking. So we loaded in all our stuff and put it all up stage so, because we were going to be last on. And during the day, we had nothing to do. And at the time, Coriam had changed production and they had some people from Neil Diamond, they had some people from this and something from that. All I could hear was this guy whining about the food and whining about this. And I'm Chris, I'm sitting there looking around and Helena Christensen is sitting over there. Cindy Crawford is sitting over there. I'm looking around at this backstage going, what's he got to worry about? Look at all the people around here. And anyway, he uh, he was just a pain in the ass. So I went up to the guys and I said, who's that guy? And he says, oh, he's one of the guitar tech and he's been with the band for years and he gets away with murder, right? Okay, all right. So later on that night, I focused all the icons onto his area. So in between songs, all the fucking icons flew over to his area and all I could see was putting his hand up to his eyes. So listen, I'm not vengeful, but it made us all laugh. We even put, Robert Plant was even into the joke. So yeah, you know, there's people who shouldn't be in our business, you know, but, uh, but whatever, you can't, everybody can't be, you know, happy. And I'm lucky I work for people who enjoy what we all do and we all bring to the show and are decent human beings, you know? And, Those uh, are the sort of things that Tom Kenny can get away with. I can get away with that, but there's lots of people who can't get away with that. But there's, uh, but there's nothing worse than a whiny backline guy, isn't there? Did you ever see, <laughs> yeah. did you ever see Dave Grohl's uh, itinerary or writer he made for? Uh, yeah, classic. classic. It is classic, you know. So, um, you know, what can you say? But yeah, no, I'm. There's I'm something about pranks like that. that. If they're done fun lovingly, and if probably having yeah. your accent doesn't doesn't hurt. No. But if, you, if you're doing it in good fun, it's, that's, that's enjoyable. That's enjoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, especially somebody who's been a pain in the ass all day. Like those, you know what festivals like? If you don't put you, like there's a girl, there's Laura Frank who works with us. And I, I couldn't do this one Bowie for Glastonbury. And uh, he loved festivals, Bowie. So he, Glastonbury was like, oh my God, all the bands. He'd walk around, check out all the different bands, all the little tents. But Laura had never, she came from... Video world and Verilite world. She was a Verilite diva, so she was a. She got treated really well always, and she was a great programmer. And I needed someone that I trusted that could go out and look after David a few times. So she was sent over to do. We did all these shows in New York, and then she arrives at, at 
Glastonbury, the bus pulls up and there's Bowie getting out and blah, blah, blah. And she gets out and the first thing she says, production manager says, hey, what time are we going to the hotel? And uh, <laughs> there's 180,000 people there. And he went, Laura, this is the hotel. She's like, no. He went, yeah. And then Bowie said, Laura, this is where we're staying tonight. Oh, no. Anyway, so, yeah, she soon got into it. But uh, it is a shock <laughs> to some people that come from certain things. And look, she turned out to be one of the best video people in the world. So that's what happens. It's just, yeah. a, you know, it's a community. But that's just, that's, that's just the touring end of it. The TV end of it's another world altogether, Chris. It's like you're meeting people who've been, have done amazing stuff. And then you're, you're meeting people who are only good at running one cable from one foot to five foot. You know? How did you switch over to television? Did you fall into it or was that uh, by design? I fell into it, but I was, it was by design in a way, I, as I said years ago, the, the manager of The Who and the manager of Eric Clapton were fed up of people. And there was only, there was only two people, really. There was, Bo, uh, was Alan Branton, who's, who's a certain way, and Bobby is a certain way. And they were so like, you know, these guys come over and they changed. They were doing it. Listen, I've learned that both of them and... Anyway, the, the, there were only two or three of them that did it at the time, and they were only doing exactly what they were supposed to do. But artists and management and people like that, especially British or Irish, they're like, hey, hang on a second here. This is our show. You could please. And you know what? They, they should understand a bit more for television, which I've learned. You have to learn all these things. So the, Eric, our, Eric's manager, Roger Forrester, said, Tom, I'm fed up with these people coming, changing their show. And actually, Eric's starting to go, who the hell are these people? Even though he knew what they did. So learn how to do it. So I opened up my mind more. So when we went to the VMAs or the Grammys or anything like that, I just looked around. And eventually I was asked to do, we did a big filming once in Italy. And the producer said, will you do it? I went, yeah, okay. And I just had a really good gaffer with me. And we, we did it. And I just didn't change much. I just did learn how to do it. And then when I came here, there was, you know, I'm not part of the American touring scene. So there's only so many people who are impressed with the great bands that I work with. So a couple of my friends who I'd met during the years and because of the way I am, I was always the conduit, you know, if the TV company says, Hey, any chance of getting to do this? I'm like, okay, I'll go up and ask them. I'd go and ask them. I'd ask, I'd know exactly who the person. So they, they knew I could cut through corners. So I was really lucky in the early MTV days. And then some of the Sony acts I knew and some of the great producers here, they were willing to, you know, take a risk on somebody. And that was like 25 years ago. And I, I have a different look that was very different to everybody else. And all of a sudden, that was the look because I had introduced it. It was just that that's, I was fortunate that that's how I did stuff. And it's the same with, you know, other people. Bobby has a certain way. Alan Branton has a certain way. You know, everybody's a different look. And you can sort of turn around and go, oh, I know that person. But... I, I came at a time when there was a lot, I, and I was never afraid to play with, with you know, all the Airtime products, all the Robbie products, you know, because we all grew up, Chris, in the Verilite world. But mm -hmm. Verilite, once it became corporate, forgot completely who made them there, who got there. And they were only interested in theater, and they weren't interested in music anymore. So I had I, inherited... Shoko and Verilite because I worked for Bowie and The Who and Zeppelin and uh, Clapton. They were all Shoko people. Now, Shoko people are fantastic people, but they were Verilite and the Verilites were great. And I was the dummy 
you know, I, I used, <laughs> uh, you know, I was the dummy guy to bring out the first BL5s. We had the first BL6s. We had the sevens for a while because it was the Clapton tour. And Rick, who was the um, go-go guy, Rick Hutton, tried out. And we were always like the, we'd be the guinea pig and uh, we'd always use it. So I brought, got to the point that they weren't treating us the same way anymore. And the only time I'd ever hear from Verilite is when it was a week before The Who or any of those bands. So along comes LSD and um, Ford Phase or whatever they called it at the time, and Nick Jackson and Terry and those guys. And they came up with this new light, the icon. And they said, Tom, we need someone to be the eyes and ears for the Eurovision Song Contest in Ireland. Just so happened to be in Ireland. So God, I could write a book about that. And Gary Westcott was the programmer. And so I started doing that. And all of a sudden, Page and Plan came. Oh, all of a sudden, the... No, the Clapton thing, we used BL5s and BL6s. And it was funny at the time, Chris. I thought they were the brightest thing in the fucking world. Oh, man, they were. We'd only, I know, we had 24 BL5s, 24 BL6s. And they were just, I was blown. Everybody just go, oh, my God, look at how bright they are. Because I used to do it a different way, you know. I got more beams and stuff. And then on Page and Plant, we used them. And I learned how to use the desk. And then when it came to Rogue, you know, the PRG, they didn't, or LSD, they didn't invest enough. Poor icons went away, which, you know, the icons really, when you look at the icon desk and the Grand May, it's the same fucking desk, man. So it's very like, similar. similar. But once the heart goes out of something, it's like, God be the day that somebody sells Grand May's. Because look at Whole Hog, the people who ran Whole Hog, they were fucking amazing people. And then the minute they were out of the picture, nobody, the, the passion wasn't there anymore. And it's the same mm -hmm. with Verilite. The minute Verilite sold, all the good people were gone, Tom Literal, all those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, but I'm not afraid to use new equipment. So all the TV shows I've done, every single Sharpie, Stroh, blah, 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 came from a show I did. I don't care what anybody fucking says. I was the first person to use them on, you know? So um, because they would always just use a Verilite, they would use blah, 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 and people would use, which you can't beat Verilite for, for key light, but now look at the BMFL, look at... You know, the the Unico, the clay packy, I used them a few years ago. I was in Italy and they brought me the seniuses. You're not afraid to use any other stuff, you know what I mean? And the, the, the lights that you guys have, the Airtons, they're all such fucking gorgeous lights out there, you know? And, it sounds uh, like you were just unwilling to compromise. You were unwavering. You're like, no, just because you guys all do it this way, I'm going to do it this way and yeah, you're all going to be shocked. Got a lot of stick. You know, it's funny. And to this day, I, problem with me, I've got an amazing memory. And you can ask anybody who works with me. I remember everything everybody fucking says. Even when I was blinding drunk. Okay, there's certain things I don't remember. But <laughs> even when I was drunk and falling over and doing stupid things on tour, blah, blah, blah. I would always remember the next day and the crew would go, how the fuck do you remember that? So much so that on Eric Clapton, I used to be called Scoop, which I would remember. I'd find, I'd always catch that person doing the wrong thing, right? I'd always, you know. And I remember, and I would use it at the right time. So I was just never afraid because I came from Ireland. You were you were taught how to be brave and how to just carry on, have a try and enjoy life. So I tried to be. Though I have found that people, <laughs> and the older you get, you realize that when a big artist walks into a room and you're on the TV show and they go, "Jesus, Tom, how you doing?" There's some people who don't like that, and they're normally people at the top, they want to be the one saying hello. On a tour, if somebody 
walks in, Joe Walsh, and Tom, how are you doing? It's a different world. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. great. Somebody knows him. That's great. But in TV and film, and definitely in TV in LA, they fucking hate the fact you know the artists because they want to be, mm -hmm. you know, we've all had it. You know, we've all experienced it. And I'm sorry, I just can't help it. I like musicians. I like talented people. I like talented TV people. And, you know, if I get in trouble over it, fuck them. But uh, in, it is in, funny. It is a funny world. In days like this, when we're going to have a, a very extended lean season, do you find it helpful that you're so diverse that you can do television and concerts yeah. and architectural? Yeah, because listen, just today, you know, what day today is April? What is it? April 24th? I was on a call with the Who's manager and looks like everything's going to be extended till, if not at the end of the year, definitely next year. We've already done our UK dates and the Irish dates for next year. And I'm sure it's just so hard. I'm very lucky that everything that's solid at the moment are big, huge TV shows. Mm -hmm. And we've already, one show, I've already designed it without an audience. You know what I mean? And there's another multi-band show that we're doing that we're doing half virtual, half in a big venue that's happening in September. There's a couple of things I'm doing, but I'm so lucky because I've been diverse, as you say, Chris, and I've, you know, I've got the big TV shows and some small, really nice projects. And uh, yeah, you really have to put your eyes in every pie, you know? Yeah, it's got, I would imagine it's really tough for the people who are so specific that uh, there's nothing, they're they going to have to really wait this out. God, I know, and I feel really bad for them, man, because there's people who that they wait for a band, they invest in a band all their life. And uh, times like this, now I do know certain artists are looking after people, but I also know without naming those people who are richer than rich can be, who are not helping out their crew or their, mm. you know, and it's sad because shit, it's like, it's only bloody money. Seriously, at the end of the day, what are you going to do, sit on your boat and be miserable? And, uh, but sadly, that's the way it is. The, the thing, the one big thing, Chris, I've learned, and I don't know if it's like that in Canada, but I learned this years and years ago from Eric Clapton's manager and the Who's manager said this and Bowie always said this. This is why U2 is so strong, is that when you work for a band in Europe or Australia or Japan or Germany or Mexico or Canada, you, it goes this way. It goes the band, the band's crew, the band's family, right? And then you've got the managers and the agents. And the manager's always in there. And the agents, you never fucking see them. Publicists, you never see them. You never see the attorneys, the guy, oh, that's John. Yeah, what's he do? That's what you ask. But here in the States, what happens is, and on every fucking band from the top to the smallest is, they start off and they've got their fans and their, their, their family and their crew. And that's the little community they have and they're doing really well and they're all together and everybody's great. And then they get an ounce of success and you're lucky to get a good manager now. A good manager, and there's only a few of them here, only a few. Some of them are young, one or two girls are fucking amazing. And there's some old guys who are great, but there's only a few people and in country just some great people you know hip-hop there's a couple of great people in rock there's some great people and they realize that the good ones realize hey we've got to keep the crew and the band and the family close together because that's what keeps everybody happy look at you two look at bands that you know i've been around all my life 
they've got this great vibe when you go to the show. It's a real good family vibe. Even if it might be four or 500 people on the crew, you still feel at home. But what they do is an ounce of talent and they try, this is the first thing they do, is they separate the crew and the family from the artist, okay? They put a wedge between them. And I'm sure it happens with actors and actresses as well. So you've got a little bit of, you know, you had your pals around you, all of a sudden you don't have them so close and they start putting these things in your head. Hey, you know, we can do this without that guy. So the, what happens is that the, the band that had that crew and family around them all of a sudden don't have that, you know, that, that blanket that they always had. And that's very much in this country, sadly, because it's such a business, so many businesses around like attorneys, publicists, agents, all that, they all want a piece of the action. Not saying that the big bands don't have that, but it seems to be a more familial community thing. Now you see a band like the Food Fighters or the or Green Day. Oh, it's funny. All the punky bands have the same European vibe. Pearl Jam, Eddie, Taylor's band. They all have country bands. They have that family vibe. Keith Urban, you know, Jason Aldean. Mm -hmm. But then there's other bands, and they have they completely cut it right down the middle, and it's all of a sudden you feel as if you're staff you know a month ago these people were playing in clubs all of a sudden they've got this big fucking entourage and you're like and that's what i've noticed with some famous bands they come into tv shows madonna the first time i worked with her she had 30 people the last time i saw her she turned up with guy Ossery and the makeup person you know what i mean because she probably went fuck i don't want all these people around me all the time as any person it's got to be exhausting it's exhausting having to deal with, you know what I mean? And I remember once we were at this show and the manager to who went, uh, Bill went, 35, Tom. I said, well, that girl over there is spending $35,000 a day on people she shouldn't have around her. And I know people will hear this and go, Jesus Christ. And they know that they are one of those people that shouldn't be there. But they're making a living and whatever, but they've got all this uh, emperor's clothing, you know, yeah. and... Uh, that's why I say at the end of the day, you could strip down all the best artists in the world and we could name them all. And they could take everything away and have a few lights and follow spot, good sound, and they'll be fucking awesome. They could entertain anybody. Mm -hmm. And just my last story, right? I was making a film. I was lucky uh, this film uh, producer brought me into work with uh, Mike Capel and myself, went to Puerto Rico and New York. We did a J-Lo, Mark Antony movie called El Cantante. And uh, it's a pretty dark movie, pretty cool, but they wanted to recreate some shows that Hector Lebeau had done in Puerto Rico and New York and the clubs. So I was brought in as the theatrical lighting designer by this great uh, art director and production designer and director. And we get to Puerto Rico and anyone who's been to any of those countries, it, it was fucking hilarious, right? And there's one lighting company that had we had one lighting system and there was a, a show on the other side of the island and they were using some of my lights. So I, the whole time, I didn't know this, but this is how it goes on. And I always knew there was a problem was when this really attractive girl used to turn up and go, Tom, I need to talk to you about those lights that were supposed to have been here two days ago for the film shoot and all that. So anyway, we get to the big final shoot. Actually, myself and Mike Appel are in it. We're uh, actually this, where the audio guys from the best. We had to wear lapel shirts and you got to spot us anyway. So fucking generator blows up. And this is what chooses mice and manner. Mark Anthony walks out on stage 
no microphones, house lights, and sang for half an hour a cappella. And I had tears in my eyes. And that's fucking talent. You know, wow. Ed Sheeran could do that. You know, there's lots of people could do that. You know, Beyonce could do that. There's lots of great people that could do that. But that's balls, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. So I've been lucky to be around great people. And there's all great stories around it. And what can you do when you're taught by the best, you know? I could uh, I could continue soaking up all this truth for for multiple hours. I I appreciate you taking the time. This has been really good. Yeah, but Chris, you know what we should do next one. Somebody should send me a list of names of people, and we can talk about that. Nobody ever, whatever. But we ever there's lots of things we didn't talk about, man. But anyway, all right, we could so we could turn it. this into a whole series. We could. We could. Well, hopefully this, listen, if it gives everybody a chance of an hour of just disappearing what's going on in the world at the moment, hopefully it does, man. I think so. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Chris. Look forward to it. Take care.